You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. So, Kevin, did we yesterday get it all out of our system? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, yeah, you know, 24-hour, I don't know. That, that, that Sunday probably lingers for 48 hours. You know, they always say 24 hours, flush it out, 24-hour rule. I feel like it's the 48-hour rule when you get shut out. Especially when you get shut out by Jacksonville. So here's a better question. Today is, what is it, September 20th? Is that right? Right. So fall is what, two days away? Yeah, don't remind me. I do like fall, but that means winter's around the corner. Um, Who do you think, for the last two nights, who do you think has slept more soundly? Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, Max Bowen. (laughs) Put those for me in order. Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, Probably in the order you said. Ballard, Reich, Max. (laughs) Max last night wakes up at 345, and next thing you know, I'm on uh, Central pushing him in a stroller at 355. Really? People think, uh, Mark, am I psychotic for doing that? No, not at all. So my my brother-in-law thinks I am. Do you think that is, Jake? I mean, I'm literally... can't get him back down. I'm mean, gonna try rocking him for. Last night I didn't even give any effort. I gave a 10 minute effort. I try rocking him for 20, 30 minutes. I'm like, my body's falling apart. I'm just gonna push him in a stroller and he'll fall asleep. And by works. any means necessary, it, that's all you gotta do. By I see one car in an hour. It's great. Pop in a little podcast or two. I mean, sure, I, you get four hours of sleep, but that's part of it. Well, I got news for you. I guess it. You either have a child at your age and get four hours sleep, or you just turn 50 at my age and get four hours sleep. <laughs> I, you know, I, was, so, I, I was talking to JMV a few weeks ago. I was hitting a little wall there where I was going to the bathroom quite a few times during yeah, the Yeah, well, that believe me, that, that faucet trickles too, right? Now, if you're Chris Bauer or Frank Reich, though, Jake, you just pop on Buffalo and Tennessee, and that'll make you sleep better after seeing what the Titans look like. Then again, you also see what Buffalo looks like. (laughs) You're like, good Lord. I think the Colts have bigger problems than worrying about the Buffalo Bills right now and where they're at in the AFC. You know, I I was curious about Tennessee this season. When would you get the Malik Willis whispers? Like, efforts like last night is going to have that fan base say, why the hell is Ryan Tannehill playing? Right. Now I didn't see. Admittedly, I didn't. I, I had turned out by the time that Willis really got on the field. Yeah, I mean he didn't do anything. Right. But you know how that is, Jake. For well, I, I guess we've never really been in that position in this market because there's never been kind of that veteran. You'd that's have to go a back a little on rocky water. You'd have to go back to Jeff George and Jack Trudeau. So yeah, I mean a long time ago, right? Um, but yeah, I, you know, if you wake up today and you're Chris Bowden and Frank Reich and you decide to pull out the Vegas lines, you will be happy to see that the Indianapolis Colts are the AFC South favorite. How could you not? I mean, you know, I, I, I made this point last night. It was really late, though. But I got to thinking about this, and I don't mean this in any way, honestly. I, I want to be clear here. This is not meant in any way as a disrespect to Chris Ballard as much as simply an observation. Chris Ballard, Kevin, his first big move as a general manager was he hired a coach who backed out on him. And he kind of fell into a coach who had been here before and was coming off of a Super Bowl run, granted not as a head coach, but nonetheless. Then he had his quarterback retire on him, obviously unfortunate, and managed to get and I can't remember did they trade for Philip Rivers or did they sign him outright signed uh huh free agent signing so he he I'm not going to say he fell into a veteran quarterback but he was able to land a veteran quarterback then when that veteran quarterback and I know they went through Jacoby Brissett beforehand but when that veteran quarterback was done then they were able to find what they thought was going to be their long-term answer and it didn't work out And they were back to square one, and literally at the 11th hour, a veteran quarterback kind of fell into their lap because of flirtation by the Falcons with another quarterback. So now all of a sudden, Atlanta had to get rid of Matt Ryan. and Is flirtation the best word to use with Deshaun Watson? Sorry. Yeah, that probably was a strange pull 
also a bad oh, term. So, Stop talking. Anyway. <laughs> I need to go back to home and see Max. <laughs> so, at any rate, he, he the Colts kind of fall their way into a quarterback again. And now, with kind of all hell breaking loose, they fall their way into contention because they're in the AFC South. I tweeted last night, Jake, I think the first team to eight wins wins the AFC South. I, I mean, honestly. And, and here's the thing. Mark, will you look up those um, over-under win totals? There's no way anyone in the AFC South right now is the favored to win more than eight. The Colts could go 8-8-1 eight, eight and one and host. They could go 8-8-1 eight, eight and, and host the Chargers in yeah. a playoff game. I right. mean... It's the Marshawn Lynch Seahawks. And I think the Chargers are the second best team in the AFC right now. I mean, it's such a long year, but still. Honestly, if you had to power rank the AFC, I mean, Kansas City's obviously right behind Buffalo. Okay. But I'm telling you, I think, and I know Kansas City beat the Chargers. I think the Chargers are really good. No, agreed. Houston Texans over four and a half wins. Indianapolis Colts over seven and a half. So right now, Vegas has it pegged at seven and a half wins for the Colts. Jacksonville Jaguars, six and a half. And Tennessee Titans, after la- like yesterday's performance, they are not listed. They've they've not posted a new one for them yet. Got to be right in the six and a half, seven Gotta and a half. Be. Yeah, range won't be more than seven and a half. Yeah, uh, you will hear me. Well, you've you've heard me say this phrase a lot. You'll hear me say it a lot over the next four months. God bless the AFC South. It is unbelievable. God it? bless the AFC South. Uh, a little bit. I I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but. Did you see Kenny Moore's tweet yesterday? I did not. Enlighten me. I don't know that I follow Kenny Moore. I probably should. Stephen Holder, who we'll have on tomorrow, Mark. By the way, we'll be at the Pacers golf outing tomorrow. And good Tuesday morning to you. I don't know if we said good morning. Um, Looks to be a really nice day here in Indianapolis. Going to be a hot one the next two days. And then, fittingly, with fall coming later in the week, it looks like temperatures will get into that fall sort of range uh but we'll be at the pacers golf outing tomorrow over at the brickyard crossing golf course so looking forward to that it's wild to think that pacers media day is on monday their first preseason game is in two weeks which is just wild um so Stephen holder writes an article from jacksonville following the game on sunday and in said article he has this sentence Asked whether the issues were scheme-related or matchup-related, cornerback Kenny Moore II said, and quote, it's scheme on scheme. It's a great question, though. Why is this guy so open? So clearly, based off that quote, Kenny's alluding to there were some scheme problems with the Colts on Sunday. Kenny follows up. A few hours later, with a tweet, I never said anything to the media about schemes and would never choose to. We know yesterday didn't go our way, and we're moving forward to get better. Pointing the finger will never be a choice of mine. It was yours. Here's the thing about Kenny Moore to me, Kevin. I'm going to pick on Kenny Moore here a little bit. Good guy, too. I mean, I love the fact that he wears, you know, Indy Fuel jerseys. And, I mean, honestly, lot, a lot to like about Kenny Moore. Really embraced being yeah, in Indy. totally. So what I'm about to say about Kenny Moore is not necessarily an indictment on him. It's, it's human nature. It happens to all of us if we are fortunate enough to find ourselves in the position that Kenny Moore has found himself. Kenny Moore, what college, Kevin? Valdosta, Valdosta State, State, right? Yeah. Small school guy. Didn't have the cap dance in high school of a bunch of cameras around with an LSU and a Florida and a Texas A&M hat on the table and ESPNU there to announce live where he was going to end up in college. I'm taking my talents. That's right. Didn't, didn't announce to anybody where he was taking his talents. Comes into the NFL, circuitous route to finding himself as a regular starter. And then all of a sudden, overnight becomes like a household beloved figure, star of hard knocks, guy that the whole franchise is rallying around. Frank Reich almost breaks down and declaring to everybody that he's now a, a you know a, a Pro Bowl player, and the whole team erupts. It's different for some guys when 
stardom and celebrity and football or athletic praise is kind of like eggnog. It's not bad when you just sip it every once in a while, but if you try to drink it all in one swig, it gets ugh, real fast. And I'm not saying it's intoxicated Kenny Moore by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that the Kenny Moore pre all the praise and the Kenny Moore that we see now, there's not not completely limiting him, but there is a level of distraction that takes place with that because I don't know that he's used to dealing with it. Whereas a guy that played collegiately at Clemson or Florida or Alabama, you know, they're used to the constant pats on the back, the you're the man, and eventually you learn how to wade through that. I think he's in the process of learning how to wade through it, and I'm not saying that what he is opining about is incorrect, but I just think that kind of knowing when to to turn off the comments and knowing when to to use them as fuel is something that he's still wading his way through. I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I've never really thought it, thought about it in that light. Um, and I think it's fair to say, Jake, in this four-game run, which we talked about a lot yesterday, of utter disappointment for the franchise, I don't think there's a player that's disappointed more than him. Starting with the Hunter Renfro matchup to end last season and then carrying over to the start of this year. I, I just think these sorts of things, I, I'm not going to act like it's a major deal, but these are some things I think to keep an eye on. Like You know, the Colts have always done a great job of like, there, there's never public splintering with that locker room. Right. You know, that you don't hear a lot of that. And this isn't necessarily falling into that category, but it's just one of those things I think to monitor of if things continue to spiral down this path, is this what catches a little bit more of the owner's eye um, with that? Um, Joel Erickson is going to join us at 8.30. Uh, those in Vegas have Frank Reich rising up the first coach to be fired list. We'll touch on that. I didn't understand Frank Reich's answer on Naheem Hines playing time yesterday. Uh, not at all. We'll, we'll, we'll play that audio a little bit later. I thought the reasoning behind that was... Confusing to say the least. Say that again. Reich's justification for the lack of playing time for T.Y. Hilton. He really chalked it up to like, well, he only had 50 plays offensively. Desmond Patman played nine plays more than Naeem Hines. Kylan Granson played a dozen plays more than Hines. I mean, your best drive of the game, the opening drive, Hines heavily involved. Like yesterday, when I saw the Michael Pittman news on Saturday afternoon, I was like, Michael Pittman's not playing. To me, Jake, it screamed, here is the perfect time to deploy the Hines, Jonathan Taylor, package of them together on the field, and you just empty that playbook. Empty it out on Sunday afternoon. You don't have Pittman. I guess you don't have Alec Pierce. Clearly, <laughs> you aren't using Paris Campbell. That, to me, screamed the need to do that. And after the first drive, Hines had two targets the rest of the game. What is a um, – what's an auxiliary – not an auxiliary. What is a secondary soup line, line of soups? Swanson – is Swanson a, a soup brand? Would Campbell's be number one? Campbell's is clearly number one in terms of soup. So what's number two? Progresso. Progresso, thank you. Good job, Mark. Thank you. So healthy instead choice. Of, what's that? Healthy choice is yep. another one. I'm sure Kirkland makes soups. I like Progresso. That's good. So I think instead of calling him Paris Campbell, we should start calling him like Lisbon Progresso. Because he's not quite totally Paris and he's not quite totally Campbell, right? Looks the part, seems the part, sounds the part, goes out on the field and plays no part in anything other than an offensive pass interference in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry. If you are at this point, and look, nice guy. We played in that uh, knockout game with him, right, Kevin? Did he knock you out in the Pacer knockout that we played? That probably would have been better. No, I, th did you, I thought you knocked me out. That's right. I was trying to – I didn't know what I was doing. Did you doing bring that though. up just so I could I, say I that say, you I knocked me out? No, I – well, I didn't know what – I think he did. Who I didn't knocked know. him out? Oh, it was me. Oh, I forgot. Me. I didn't know yeah. what we were doing. I did that. If, if, if I recall correctly, Kevin, I, did, I was so unfamiliar with that game that 
we were both going up for like a layup and I, I backed out to let you go first and you missed and then I hit mine and so that knocked you out. I didn't even know I was knocking you out. But nonetheless... Um, the humbleness of Jake mm-hmm, Query here. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. I, well, I, I'm a very <laughs> humble guy. It's one of my best attributes, actually, of yeah. my many. Probably my best attribute of my tremendous qualities is my humility. I, I can't argue. Look. And your calves, too, of course. Oh, I have wonderful calves. Have you, how did you notice? You Thank brought you. them up all week last week. Well, here, week. I'll bring them up again. My flexibility. That's another thing that's a strong suit of there mine. There you go, Kevin. You get to look at that now. Do you realize people are looking on the camera and they're saying to themselves, those are some nice calves. I'm just going on um, my phone. Have we, do we have enough body of work now, though, to say, Paris Campbell, it's not going to happen? It would have happened by now. Am I wrong? Jake you probably could have made that statement leading into the year. No, I get it. You know, I always felt this way about Campbell. Entering the season, 15 games, and for his career, 360 receiving yards. I mean, that is minuscule for, again, a guy that you're slotting number two or number three on the depth chart. Now, the counter to that, a lot of people would say, well, he hasn't been healthy, hasn't had time to build rapport with the variety of quarterbacks that he's had, all of that. Yesterday or Sunday was just awful. Again, with Pittman out, with Pierce out, hell, with not using Hines, why is Campbell not being deployed more? Just force-feed him the ball and see if his athletic traits, which led to him being a second-round pick, can do anything post-catch. In the veteran whiteout market, uh, this just in from NFL Network, Cole Beasley. Oh, can I guess where he went? Did he sign somewhere? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be very hard to guess. Not the Colts. Cole Beasley not coming to Indianapolis. I don't know then. Would I be thrilled if I got transferred to this city? I mean, think about who makes these sort of signings. The Raiders. The Bucks. The Bucks would have been my second guess, yeah. Now, something to ask Joel Erickson when he joins us a little bit later. I believe it was T.Y. Hilton's agent yesterday, Michael Katz, all of a sudden, just out of the blue, tweets a couple ghost emojis and, like, T.Y. like 13 consecutive times. I don't know if you're in the agent following business on Twitter, but, like, usually they're pretty reserved. Right. Usually they're only pressing send if said client is... Telling them to? Telling them to or coming back or, you know, you know making a sign. And I'm like... You know the one thing you have to do if you're an agent on Twitter, though? For every player that you have. And I understand it. You have to say, Kevin, he's a great player, but an even better person. <laughs> no matter who it is. Yeah, that's a, that's a prereq mm-hmm. right there. Uh, I'm privileged I, to call him not only a client, but a friend. Yeah. Because he's a great player. I would want player, him to marry my daughter. But an even better person. <laughs> that's what people say about me, Mark. I, God, I, I don't know if Michael Katz was inferring anything with that. Tuesday is a very popular roster move day in the NFL. Every Tuesday. Before practice could start on Wednesday, obviously the Cole Beasley news, like I just said a few minutes ago. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Maybe that's T.Y. wanting Michael Katz to say something. Maybe that's Michael Katz taking a jab at some team around the NFL that decided not to pursue his client in the offseason and saying, look what's happening to you. That'd be pretty aggressive for an agent to do that. Um, but I think it's something worth I mentioned. I assume you guys talked last week about the thank you for the memories. We did. That seemed to kind of put a f- capper on it, didn't it? I, I would like at some point this week just to kind of give a tip of the cap to Ty. It, it. I just. I think he's a bit underappreciated. I would agree with that because he's not as you know he, he, statistically speaking. And you could you could even make the argument. Listen, I'm not here by any stretch of the imagination to say that he is Reggie Wayne or Marvin Harrison, but he put up similar numbers and did so with probably less distraction on the other side of the field. And, you know, he did have Andrew Luck. Never had a good running but, back. Right. I mean, he there were times where he was their lone weapon on the field. I think you can make an argument, Jake, if you're going to make a list of the, you know, handful of best Five, ten, or shorter wideouts in NFL history. He's probably on it. Uh, hey, Jake, why did the Colts get rid of Jacoby Brissett just because he didn't throw for 350 yards per game? He had to go. One thing he didn't do was four fumbles and five interceptions after two games. He should still be here. Your thoughts, Kevin? That's a, that's 
Definitely not a take I thought I'd be addressing. It's 720 in the morning. Uh, Jacoby didn't want to be here anymore. Again, you brought up Rivers. Jacoby wanted a chance to potentially start. Right. So was it Miami? Was that where he went first? I think that's right, yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, he thinks two is on if, if, shaky ground there, and then he goes to Cleveland where their situation was on shaky ground. Jacoby wants to continue to find the shaky starting positions in the NFL and try and Ryan Fitzpatrick his way into the starting lineups, which he's earned, and it's smart. So, again, oftentimes in free agency, we don't acknowledge the two-way street. Jacoby had a nice run here as a backup, did not want to be here. If Jacoby Brissett was a long-term starter in the NFL for a franchise, it would have happened by now. I think he's a perfectly – I like him. Perfectly sufficient player. I don't think he's your long-term guy at quarterback. Jim says this, Reich's comments on Hines are about the last straw with Reich as coach or at least play calling. You know, I've been a little bit more of a Reich defender offensive play calling-wise than I think most. And I think there's a lot of evidence that backs that up. His explanation on Hines yesterday, again, I, Jim, I, I think there's a ton of truth to what you just said. Jake, obviously a ton of questions yesterday on you know, hot seat and you know how is this v- being viewed by Jim Ursay and I think the embarrassment meter for Ursay was you know pretty high exiting Jacksonville on Sunday, but I think if you want to go higher on that meter, it would take such a performance inside of Lucas Oil Stadium, and I think the opponent would matter as well. And when I look at the schedule. And I look late next month, and I see the quarterback of a certain NFC team that comes to Lucas Oil Stadium on October 30th. If Carson Wentz and the Commanders beat the Colts at home and beat them by multiple scores, I honestly think that could be the exact event that Jim Mersey would need for him to boil over and make a midseason change. And now, obviously, you know, leading into that game, you would have to continue down a path of, you know, struggling and, and, you know, nowhere near, you know, above 500 and things like that. But that, to me, would get... I I don't think Ursa's there now, but in a month from now, considering everything that happened with Wentz, his venom towards Wentz, if that happened in his own building, Okay, let me tell you something that I think... that I might have in common with Jim Mersey. And then, Kevin, you've been around it. You worked inside the building. You know, you've got a, probably a better up or had a better up-close front-row seat here. But one thing that is a weakness of mine is that sometimes I let – I try not to, but I think we all do to an extent. I let personal interactions or experiences cloud sometimes – for better or worse, my perception or my analysis of things. And, you know, example given. I don't dislike Chris Ballard at all. I don't know Chris Ballard. Disingenuous to say that I do. I don't know that anybody knows him. I mean, we interact with him professionally, but that doesn't mean that we're like going over to his house for Thanksgiving or we know what he's like behind closed doors. So professionally speaking, I, I respect him and I don't dislike him at all. I, he's nice. Seems like a nice guy, right? But for example, I, I go back to, and I'm just being completely transparent here. When we had him on, and he, I thought was smug to, to you regarding the receiver stuff before that. Um, I thought he took a dig at me when he made the, the joke about having a college degree after I had just mentioned that I'm finishing college and he said, well, I can get another job. I do have a degree. I Okay. So I think he's, so there's a little part of me deep down that has to stave the temptation of wanting to like be snarky about him because of a perception that I thought he was snarky towards us. There's a, an element of human nature that goes into that. And, and for the most part, I stave it, but it would be disingenuous for me to to say that it's not there subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Is Jim Mersey the same way in that regard in the fact that he tries his hardest, understandably and respectfully so, to not be Bob Ursay, who would come down in the locker room after a game and fire a tight end on the spot or cut a guy or whatever else. I think Jim Mersey witnessed that and wants so hard to not be that guy, but 
are there still decisions that he makes or directions that he has the right to do as the owner of the franchise where he allows his personal interactions or vendetta, for lack of a better phrase, to come into play? Yeah, I don't think you can ever completely get away from it. It might lessen over time. It's clearly not anywhere close to the level of his father. But the Wentz situation in the you know dozen years that I've been around Jim Mercer and, and covered his football teams, I, I've never seen it. I've never seen it like that. I've never seen just such a personal. And for those that are for those that are about to jump in and write to us, I want to make clear here: the more that I've talked about this, the more that I've researched is probably the wrong word. I don't want people sending us, calling us, tweeting us, or emailing us right now. Like you got to get over the vaccine thing. This, I'm not saying that has nothing to do with this, but there were. There were more things that took place between Carson Wentz and Jim Irsay or didn't take place. Completely aside from that, there was still enough in Jim Irsay's mind evidence of things that rubbed him wrong about Carson Wentz. And I also think this, Wentz, you know, putting the Wentz thing to the side for a second, Jake, in the 25, 30 years that Jim Irsay has been the owner of the Colts, I don't know if you've been at a point in a season where preseason expectations have failed down the path that this season has started so much. You know, they've obviously been a pretty good football team in the 25, 30 years that he's been the owner. And when they've been bad, well, it was kind of expected that they were going to be bad. Um, This right now is going down a totally different path from where, you know, for the most part, anybody in particular him, thought this season would be. Um, I mentioned it before the start of the year, Jake, and certainly what's happened so far reiterates this for me. I don't understand why Chris Bowden and Frank Wright did not enter this season on a hot seat in Jim Mercer's eyes. And when you say hot seat, I think people immediately associate, if you think they should be on the hot seat, you think they should be fired. And, that, and that's not true. I mean, think about any walk of professional life you know, my wife works in sales. If she manages a team, if someone on her on her team isn't meeting specific numbers, whatever, they put you on a performance plan or, you know, she sits down with them and says, hey, you know, Tyler, w- w- you know, this isn't working out very well. We need you to get to this number by this date, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes that little kick in the ass is what that person needs. Honestly, it's when this Colts team has played their best. Under Frank Reich, when you got off to a one and five start in 2018, when you got off to whatever the start was in 20, uh, was it 2020? I guess you got off to kind of a rocky start as well. So for me, I think the results. I guess I think two things. One, I think some public accountability would do them well because I don't think it's been there from the owner. And again, I think that the Colts under Reich and Ballard have been at their best when their backs have been against the wall. And then two. Frankly, I just think the results merit it. When you haven't won a division title, it's the laughing stock of divisions in the AFC. You only have one playoff win in a handful of years. And again, I'll reiterate this a lot, Jake. When you go stopgap band-aid quarterback, when you go Rivers, when, when, when you make a move for Wentz, who was proven to a degree in the NFL, when you do the Matt Ryan thing, that means the expectations are higher. Right. There's not growing pains with a rookie QB in any of this. And you factor all that in, the seat should have been warm entering the season, and now the seat should be extremely hot after the start. What's interesting to me about the quarterback position and how it parlays into the brass of the Colts, I think Jim Irsay, and I'll give him a lot of credit here, when Jim Irsay got Peyton Manning and rode that high, that wave, that, you know, that dynasty, got him a new stadium, got him a Super Bowl. I think Jim Irsay was smart enough to know that he was dealing with or the the beneficiary of a generational-level quarterback that I don't think Jim Irsay ever truly, deep down in his heart, felt like it was strictly the organization that was winning those things as much as they were absolutely in the great fortune of Peyton Manning's greatness. And I think that he he wanted the same from Andrew Luck. Bill Polian, 
I feel like eventually Peyton Manning's success and everything that came with it, that Bill Pullian started to feel like that was actually Bill Pullian that was building that greatness and that Manning helped, but it was Pullian's vision and Pullian's greatness that was winning games and championships or a championship. I think Ryan Grigson got a lot of credit. I'm not saying Grigson himself touted the credit, but Ryan Grigson got a lot of credit, especially in the early years, for the greatness of Andrew Luck. And I don't think that Jim Mercer ever felt like, hey, this is the organization that's just brilliantly doing this. You know, I think he knew that Luck was also a generational talent. Chris Ballard now, from a quarterback standpoint, is writing the defection of Andrew Luck and continuing to use that far beyond, in my opinion, its expiration date. I mean, literally, it feels to me like in 2031, the Colts are going to be 7-9, and nine, and whoever's doing the morning show on this radio station is going to be saying, yeah, but you got to understand, I mean, Chris Ballard had, you know, Andrew Luck walked out on him 12 years ago. Probably Elijah. <laughs> it probably will be Elijah. But, but I, so I give Jim Irsay. That excuse is extinguished. It's gone. Not to a lot of people, I'm it, telling it, you. It should be, though. I, I totally I, agree I, with I you. I what you're saying. I mean, but... you and I are on the same page on that. What I'm getting at is simply the point that I do think that Jim Irsay, in most circumstances, Jim Irsay kind of is able to remove himself and let things organically blossom and realizes that, you know, he's simply the one holding the water pail. Except for in the case of Carson Wentz, I think he took that personally. Nick says this, I can't believe after he was so embarrassed and pissed off to end last season that Ursay's not boiling over right now after two completely he awful may be. showings. I, I think there's a level of you can be boiling, Nick, but again, there's obviously another rung on the ladder if you're going to make very uncharacteristic moves for really any NFL franchise. I mean, how many NFL franchises have, you know, axed a coach in the first half or the first quarter, I guess, do you want to know, speaking of quarterbacks, you want to know the quarterback, Kevin, that I, I'm not going to say that I was ever a doubter of this guy, but I, want, I wondered if he was an NFL everyday starting quarterback as opposed to novelty act that I give a lot of credit for because it looks like through consistency and, and hard work and I think has always had a good attitude. I look at now and I go, you know what? I, I do think this guy is a starting quarterback in the NFL and a pretty good one. Jalen Hurts. Correct. I was a doubter of Jalen Hurts. I, I, I give a ton of credit to Jalen Hurts at Alabama for being the team guy when he was not starting anymore, and and then he gets drafted in the NFL, and it's like, well, they're just he's being brought in as like a third down back when they want to possibly mix things up and maybe run the ball. And uh, listen, I watched him last night, Kevin. He's a good player. He's always been a. a has a leadership quality about him, I think, a maturity about him. He's obviously can can mix things up with his legs and has become, I think, more consistent at reads. And that goes to show, as I was watching that last night, I was saying to myself, here is Philadelphia that drafted him and probably a lot of people wondered why because of Carson Wentz, wondered why they drafted Jalen Hurts a few years ago. What was it, three years ago maybe? And – if you give a guy time and you put him in the right situations and you don't burn him and beat him too bad from the get-go and let him organically grow, this is what you get. And Philadelphia now may have their guy for the next eight years. Now, you know who knows? Maybe the bottom falls out. But it seems as though their patience in him and their belief in him is paying off. It can be done. Two things I think to note on that as well, Jake. Credit to Nick Sirianni. Um, I think a lot of questions when he took that job. I even had some questions about him. And for him making that work, you know, they were a very surprised playoff team, I think, to a lot of people last last season. Obviously off to a nice start this year. And then also, and you can point to Tua for this. We talked about you can point to Trevor Lawrence for this. Philadelphia has supported him. I mean, look at the trade That's for A.J. I mean. Brown. Yeah. yeah. Devontae Smith drafted high. I know Smith hasn't maybe lived up to that hype, but they have supported him. And I forget who, it was like Matt or Mark, someone – um messaged me the, the other day saying like I was never a Wentz fan but you know it looks to me that people owe him an apology you can't blame the wide receiver tight end group that Matt Ryan had Sunday and then act like Wentz didn't work with the same group last year but I would say to Mark 
this group that Matt Ryan has right now, it's worse than what Carson Wentz had last year. Well, certainly it was on Sunday. I mean, you don't have Pittman out there. You know what I mean? You could even make the argument in week one. You don't have Jack Doyle. I mean, T.Y. Hilton and Zach Pascal would be much right. better than anything that you're throwing out there. Sans Pittman. Right. right now. There was a stat that, you know, that some of these next-gen stats, which is a big NFL NFL-related stat, they um, they have a stat called basically it's a separation stat. You know how much separation do wideouts, tight ends, pass catchers in general create? And Matt Ryan had the worst percentage in the NFL of open pass catchers of anybody last week, which I don't think is a surprise to any of us. Is, is Mo Cox still on the roster? Watching that. He's on your fantasy team. He got one foot down, right, in the end zone? Did he, did he even get a foot down on that one? He got one foot down. He definitely didn't get the second one down. How did you, How in the world did you know he's on my fantasy team? In the Because someone asked for a, on our on our chat, show chat, asked about our fantasy standings. And I said, well, I'm off to a 2-0 start. Jake got a win, and uh, Kevin got his doors blown he got off. Got a win. Week. I think I had, the, I had the second highest point total in the league, I think. Right? I thought I got a win one of those weeks. You got a win. Yeah, you're one and one, but this week was you barely cracked 80, I think. Mo Alley Cox, by the way, I put in a waiver claim. I think I played. This is how much I pay attention to fantasy. I think I had Michael Pittman in the starting line. I think you did. Uh, you got a, you got a pass this week since you're on paternity leave. Well, let's not have that happen again. Let's yeah. just, let, we want to put some respect on the show. If my waiver claim goes through, then Mo Alley Cox is no longer a member of the <laughs> Why Not Indiana, just so you know. Stefan, want to talk about Frank Reich and the QB blame? Stefan, good Tuesday morning. Yes. Hey, but my thing is this. You can't really – Chris is not really tied into this. This is Frank going up to the gym and going, I can win right now if you give me the guy I want. If you would have just rode the whole wave of let's go with Jacoby and ride it all the way out, draft our quarterback and move on, we've been great. And also in the part of that, too, Jacoby also didn't have no, nobody on that team when he was playing. He did pretty good for what he had. Nobody supported him for it. But, hey, it is what it is, right? I think Jacoby Brissett is a perfectly sufficient stopgap starting quarterback in the league, and I think we've seen that at other places, right? I mean, you know, he's had plenty of opportunity to show. And that's not a knock on him, Stefan. I'm just saying, like, I think he's he's a perfectly sufficient carry you through to your point i mean it's a good point he's a perfectly sufficient carry you through while a jalen hurts or somebody on your roster is brought in to learn the offense and slowly hand the keys over to for whatever reason the colts have decided not to do that and always thought that they're going to get the big splash at the roulette wheel and it hadn't worked out yet i'd push back on the first statement that it's just right to blame for the quarterback decisions and Wright going to Ursa and saying, I can make it work with these guys. Is Wright doing that? Sure. But Chris Boward is over Frank Reich. It's Chris Boward's decision. Ultimately, he's the final sayer in what this roster looks like. And if he wanted to make a big-time quarterback move, he could try and do that. Um, I definitely said it yesterday. The moment Andrew Luck did what he did in August of 2019, Chris Bauer has got to get everybody in the organization that matters and says, we have to do everything to try and exhaust each avenue, each resource, free agency, trade, draft, etc., to find the next quarterback. And Ballard has not wanted to do that. Look at Buffalo last night. Buffalo traded up, I believe it was twice to take Josh Allen. Yeah. I mean, look at Kansas City coming in here on Sunday. They traded up, what, 15-some spots to get Patrick Mahomes? The Colts have been in draft positions, 13 overall when Tua went, you know, five and Herbert went six, uh, you know, 21 overall when they took Quiddy Pay. You're going to have to make big moves in those situations, but Ballard and Reich have been on the same page in putting off quarterback, putting off the serious, albeit risky, but the serious, risky chance in trying to find a franchise quarterback so um, sure Reich has had some say in it but the hierarchy of how that organization works and the decision makers Chris Bowers ahead of Frank Reich so he gets final sign off uh, hey that. Jake Jalen Hurts finished at Oklahoma not Alabama you doofus he transferred because of Tua uh, again 
I mean, that's I, true, but he got called a doofus before 8 a.m. But he, um, you know, when in the national championship game, for example, I can't remember if he was hurt, but he, you know, he played alongside of him, was very supportive of him when Tua was winning them games. Yeah, I mean, sure, he wanted to play. Matter of fact, he might have had one year eligible at. I can't remember how it went with the Oklahoma transfer, but my if, point being, he was a professional all the way through, and it did not hurt his stock. Speaking of Tua, I, that 2020 draft for quarterbacks, good lord. Joe Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Good grief. And that was when the Colts were 13 overall and traded for Buckner. Yes, correct. And again, right then and there, yeah, you know, Buckner, has there been nice moments lately? Of course, he hasn't impacted like you would want him to. But that's when you've got to sit down and say, before we even think about addressing a defensive tackle, we've got to figure out quarterback. Can we make a move? Is Jalen Hurts someone that you think is worthy enough to be drafted and develop? I mean, even wide receiver-wise, C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson. I mean, jeez. Yeah, those are some Chase names. Claypool. I, I can't believe you just got called the doofus, Jake. That's the way it goes, right? Like, if you were going to tell me right now, Kevin, where did Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, and Kyler Murray start and end their college careers? There's no chance I could get the order of. Who was at Oklahoma? Who was at Texas Tech? Who was right. at Alabama? Like, who played for Cliff Kingsbury? Who played for Lincoln Riley? <laughs> there was no chance I could get any of that correct. You think Joel A. Erickson gets a raise for having to witness that on Sunday? In person? Man. I mean, you get to go down there and smell the Maxwell House coffee being ground. That's cool. Roasted, I'd whatever they call I'd love to ask him about the pool, but I'm going to refrain. I've always wondered, you know, just kind of first come, first serve. Do they have adult swim in the pool in Jacksonville? <laughs> How big is the pool? doesn't look that bad i'm disappointed cbs doesn't show it more often it's kind of my gripe that i have with games from jacksonville uh joel erickson from the star he is with us here on the payless liquors hotline joel i'm gonna start here um did you um see michael katz's tweet yesterday regarding ty hilton I did. I did see it. Okay, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I, and I ask you because I think you're extremely plugged in with this stuff. Michael Katz is T.Y. Hilton's agent, correct? Yes, he is one of the two Katz brothers who are the Hilton's agents. Who are Hilton's agents? Yes. And yes. he tweets yesterday, which honestly looked kind of like a 13 year old tweet. A couple ghost <laughs> emojis, and then like T.Y. 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 And I'm thinking to myself, man, if agents tweet something along those lines, usually it means something is up with their client. Am I reading too much into that? So I, I looked into it for the same reason. I mean, I, I saw that tweet and felt and thought the same thing. And I, I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't know if I got a great answer back. I got uh, conflicting – I got conflicting uh, – information in terms of in terms of what's going on but yeah you know I, i'm the same way with ukb when i saw that tweet i was like oh is this, is this happening right now uh and then yeah i what i was able to, to get from from trying to poke around on that was um obviously not strong enough to go on but it sort of tried to lead me in two different directions too so uh it, it's hard to handicap that but that, that tweet seems you know it, it seems like it's a big deal and so anything Anything that I, anything you get that, that seems in contradiction to the idea that maybe he's coming back, you're like, well, I, do I trust that? Because there is this tweet out there with with all, all these TYs in a row. It's re really tough to, to kind of parse through some of that stuff sometimes. Well, the thing that's interesting to me. Gosh, that's odd, Joel. Thank you for sharing. I, 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 I know you're probably very confused. I mean, Joel, the thing that's weird to me, you know, and tell me if I'm like, you know, like would flunk a Nancy Drew book review here, but. When you look at it, the first thing you would say is like, oh, well, maybe this is like dropping a hint that like there's been a reach out about T.Y. Hilton services. And then I'm like, but yet the Colts, once the Colts put up the thanks for the memories, that kind of closed that door officially, right? Or am I way off base? I, I, that, it's, it's, see, that, that, that's another good example of, of how, you know, how do you tell? Because, you know, there's, there's guys who've had retirement press conferences and then ended up playing for a team again. Shoot, Tampa Bay's, Tampa Bay's quarterback. Uh, it is like that. So, it uh, you know they put up the thanks for the memories thing, but if if the situation got dire enough and they they felt like he was the one who could help them, 
you'd, you'd be like, hey, thanks for the memories. Can you make some new ones? That's just the way this works. So it's hard to read too much into anything without hard information, which is not what I've honestly not been able to get. I've, I've gotten whatever the, the, the soft information in both directions. Yeah, someone just tweeted, you know, Tampa sniffed around with T.Y. before they signed Cole Beasley. I, again, I, I don't. I don't know, but it, yeah, it certainly um, was something that caught my eye yesterday. Joel A. Erickson from the Star, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, do you think, um, in Jim Mersey's eyes, do you think Frank Wright and Chris Ballard are tied at the hip if one goes, both goes? I I don't know. I, I felt like in the off season, I felt like he said stronger stuff about um, – Ballard than he did about Reich or, or stuff that was more uh, confident in terms of in but so I feel like I might be reading into that too much I I also know that GMs in the NFL typically get more more threadway than than coaches do uh, for whatever reason I think part of it just has to do with the fact that the coach is forward facing and everyone sees them but uh it's hard to tell. For me, they're tied together. I, I every every time we get into one of the issues, I I feel like I end up going back and forth between both of them. So, but but I don't I don't exactly know exactly where Ursay is on it. I feel like maybe um, Reich had more to prove to him than Ballard. But that's 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 reading a lot into into the owner's quotes. Joel Erickson is our guest from the Indianapolis Star. He's on the Payless Liquors guest line. Joel, on my way in this morning. Uh, the national show that precedes this program, they were talking about the Colts and about Matt Ryan and basically said that Matt Ryan has turned the corner. He's too old. Um, you know, the the Indianapolis is where quarterbacks go to die. Now, the question I have for you is this. Is it that Matt Ryan, in fact, got old overnight or – have the Colts done him a disservice thus far, and it can be repaired, but by not offering him the proper protection and thus we cannot fully evaluate who exactly he is? I, I think it's the second one. I, I think you're on track there with the second one. They, the, whole, the whole thought process around Matt Ryan coming here was that the Colts were going to give him the things he didn't have in Atlanta. Uh, you know, He's going to have a running game that he didn't have in Atlanta. He was going to have protection uh, that he didn't have in Atlanta. I mean, he, he was sacked more than 40 times in each of the last four years with the Falcons. The Colts have never under right given up more than the 34 Carson Wentz took last year. But through two games here, Ryan's been sacked nine times or uh, seven times. Sorry, seven times. It feels like nine or ten or whatever. Uh, and he's been under constant pressure. They, they, they haven't done – and he's also he's also he's also not gotten receiver help, but that's something that I think the Colts, especially after he got here, conceptualized him kind of elevating some of these young receivers. But the protection part is the biggest piece. I think that's the reason we're seeing bad. That's the, one of the biggest reasons we're seeing bad play from him is he doesn't he doesn't have time to do anything. He doesn't have time to, to get these receivers open or or because they, they there's someone coming from not just the left tackle spot, but sometimes all over the line. Joel A. Erickson from the Stars with us. Kind of going off that point, Joel, um, no offensive line makes more money in the NFL than the Colts. I believe their defensive line ranks third in the NFL in money invested into that group. Um, In your eyes, who's been more disappointing through two weeks, the O-line or the D-line? Oh, that's a good one, KB. Um, I think the defensive line – and and I'm I'm throwing in just the uh, the the fact that the offensive line I mean the offensive line's been bad I mean it's, it's, you're choosing between two bad things so far um, the offensive line at least has you know the 160 yard game for Taylor uh, outside of Quiddy Pay in overtime those two plays in overtime just very little from the defensive line and this this was supposed to be more of an attacking front it was supposed to be. Uh, geared around producing more pressure than the previous scheme had. Bringing in Ngakwe was supposed to give them this tip of the spear that they didn't have. We haven't seen any of that. And, you know, you can say what you want about play action or misdirection or, uh, you know, them getting the, the other, the other teams getting the ball out quick or rolling out or whatever, but I, 
my understanding of what they said the scheme was going to be, the attack front was going to be, was that none of that was going to matter. That you were going to play to the quarterback and then adjust on the way to whatever is going on there. I feel like what we've seen so far from the defensive line is they're, they're paying a lot of attention to that, and they're not winning one-on-one matchups when they, when they have them. I, I think Butner's hip injury um, kind of clouds the evaluation of him. I don't know, you know. He didn't practice much last week. I don't know what, exactly what he's dealing with. But everybody else, like I said, outside of, outside of those two things from Quiddy Pay, just nothing, and absolutely nothing from the, the guys behind the starters, which makes it even worse. I mean, how, how many times have we heard that they have to have eight or nine rushers? They, they kind of have like four or five. It, it's bad right now in, on the defensive line. It's bad on the offensive line, too. But just the starkness of how little they've gotten from them over two weeks is, is kind of arresting. Yeah, eight quarters of regulation football, zero sacks from the D-line. Both those pay sacks came in overtime in week one. Um, one thing to note on the O-line, this left tackle rotation, Matt Pryor continues to get the bulk of the reps over there ahead of Bernard Ryman. It's almost getting to a point, and I'm really surprised I'm here in week three, Joel, but it's getting to a point that Matt Pryor, to me, has looked so sketchy. Why not just roll with a rookie? If both are going to be sketchy, I'd rather the rookie grow than the five-year vet, I guess. I, I'm with you on that, and part of it is part of it is just we, we know what Pryor has been. He, one of the things he hasn't been is a left tackle, other than one game last year. Um we don't know what, what Bernard Ryman could be. And in talking to people who've been around him before, I did a big story back in the spring on, on his whole pass from Austria all the way here. And, you know, the coaches at Central Michigan, they all said, like, it's, it might start in a place that's not great, but he just learns so fast. And if that's true, if that's who this guy is, you know, maybe just if you're going to deal with issues at left tackle anyway, let him learn and see if all of that physical gifts that they like will catch up because they felt like he made a big, he made a big improvement during training camp. It, a guy who's learning fast like that, give him more game reps. And then, and then you, you, maybe you'll get, maybe you'll get an actual left tackle by the end of the season. Whereas with prior, he's a vet. I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to make a big improvement that we haven't seen from him before in his career. You know, it feels to me like left tackles like quarterback, and by that I mean, if you've got two of them, you've got none. You just got to—I don't care which one it is—you got to pick one of them. You got to roll with it. You got to stick with it. Am I am I way off base there? No, I, I think I think left tackles like quarterback not only in that, but also in that uh, it's it's really really hard to find one outside of the first round, and if you do find one outside of the first round, it might take them a little bit of time, but. Normally, you would have given Bernard Ryman uh, a better option to play behind so he could do the developing. They haven't gotten that from prior yet, you know. And and like I said, I, I just keep thinking about the upside. And if you can get there by the end of the year, surely those game snaps would help help him download some of that information and learn and get better. Joel, uh, last one from me. Um, you know, I – I don't want to speak for you, but I, I've been saying pretty much all show long, I, I don't expect Jim Merce to do anything imminent when it comes to any sort of firing or any sort of, you know, in NFL terms, something pretty drastic in the month of September. You really don't see that in this league. But I think there's a level of embarrassment that if you got there in your own building, if you got there at the end of next month and Carson Wentz was the one doing it to your football team, that just might set him off. I, I I think it would almost take it to that degree for him to react in such a manner. Again, I don't think that anything's going to happen soon, but if it were to happen, I think that might be the recipe to do it. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I've been kind of saying this. It, it's hard for me. I think this is one of the things where uh, me having only been here since 2018 makes it a little harder for me to read it. I just... I, I don't know Ursay in coaching change or gene change situations the way like you do or Chap does or one of those guys. And so And to be fair, Joel, I, I don't off To be fair, Joel, I don't think any of us do. I mean, Jake, feel free to chime in, but again, compared to preseason expectations to where you're at right now, this is pretty uncharted territory under Ursay's ownership. 
Like when you go two and eleven yeah, in, in, in two thousand and eleven, you were expected to be bad. When you were bad with Jacoby in twenty seventeen, well, you were expected to be bad. When when you Manning, want to go back to Jim Mora, I was going to say when Manning got hurt, and you ended up with you know the Curtis Painter. I mean, everybody knew they were going to suck for luck, but they weren't saying that. That roster got so exposed so early that that was Bill Polian, who was a Hall of Famer, and as soon as there was light coming through the armor, he was gone. So the precedent somewhat is there, right? Yeah, it, it just not as often as it is maybe with Jerry Jones or I, I don't know. So, so, right, right, totally. Yeah. Some other owner. Yeah, and that that's the thing that makes it hard to read is, you know, you, usually when you're trying to figure out what they're going to do in these situations, you go based on prior um, – performance and that's I, I don't know if I have it like especially with Pagano and Grigson era I saw that from afar I was covering the Saints at the time um, and I'm sure Colts fans remember I had my own uh, coaching you know wishy-washy and flirtations to deal with at the time so I don't remember it as well and that that makes it a little bit harder for me to guess at what Ursa is going to do yeah I I don't think I, I think that Jim Ursa deep down Kevin and I have talked about this a lot, Joel. You know, I, I do think that wanting to not be his father is very important to him. And going into the locker room after a game and immediately – you know, listen, I think he had to be talked off the ledge of doing that after Jacksonville, uh, of just going in right then and, and making – I'm not saying at the front office level, but making changes or dictating changes right then. He did push away to let things pan out organically over the, the proper timeline. And – Joel, you tell me if I'm overly optimistic here. I just look at it and I go, look, they're off to a bad start. There's no doubt they're off to a bad start, and it's embarrassing what happened in Jacksonville. And they were awful, inexcusable. They didn't look prepared. They looked flat. They didn't look like they cared. And people are PO'd, and rightly so. But it's two weeks. And I look at the NFL season, I'm like, you know what? I mean, Kansas City, it's going to be a a big challenge, but – it wouldn't surprise me at all. It'd be so Colts, so NFL if they turn around and play well against them. But they do have opportunity to right the ship. And if they win two or three in a row, doesn't everybody kind of forget about it? Well, I mean, and the, and the other thing is this this staff has a history of, of writing the ship after some, some bad stuff. It, it, no one wants to hear that right now, and I understand why. It was like where you guys started at the top. Watching that live was really tough. I mean – I think if you're at home, you can probably get up and walk away and switch channels, go watch the other games that are going on. You know, watching it live was it was it was awful. But there is they, they've they've looked bad before, and we've been in this position before, and then they end up figuring out a way to get get back to it. And if you, to some degree, if you make the coaching change, and I, I know nobody wants to hear this, you, you've given up on this season completely. And if you feel like you have guys, which I, I think the Colts feel like they have guys. Not most, a lot of them haven't played like it so far, but the Colts still feel like they have those guys. Giving up on the season this early, um, you probably feel like you're missing a chance. Uh, again, like I'm with you. Not to that's not to that's not to minimize what's happened over the first two weeks. It's been bad, uh, but in terms of the way the NFL has worked and the way this this regime has worked specifically. They, they tend to figure it out when their back is against the wall. And, you know, do you feel like you, you give them that chance to figure it out when their back's against the wall again? Again, glass half full, God bless AFC South, but then I also look at the schedule and think, holy hell, it's about to get r- much harder, much quicker here leading into – Is there anything holy about hell? Kansas City. There's not, Denver, is there? And- <laughs> it seems a, a unique – it's a very weird expression. You're right. Yeah, a very yeah. strange expression. Yeah, I've never really thought about that. Joel, welcome to the nine o'clock hour as we try and sift through <laughs> I that just, here. I just, Joel, Kevin these McQuarrie. are these are the kind. Joel, I know this is going to shock you because you and I don't know each other well, but this is the kind of neuroticism that keeps me awake at night. You know what I mean? Well, I I I just walked out of my my Tuesday morning uh, men's Bible study at church, and now you're like taking me like back into it. Like mm-hmm. I just went right back into it. Okay, next Tuesday, can you, can you bring ask- Joel? Can you, you ask him that? Jake. Can you ask him that question, Joel? Next, next Father, Tuesday, I got a question for you. <laughs> I'm just saying, what, what, what is the origin of that phrase? Is what I'd like to know. That's just maybe there are holes down there. I, I don't. Who knows? 
Joel, thank you very much. Sorry about the end. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Mark, Mark, that was Joel Erickson's last appearance on the Kevin Aquarius show. Now Mark's confused. Can you insert the Rick Carlisle's fun while it lasted for Joel? I'm just saying. On the show, you know. Uh, Jake, right now in Vegas, the first coach to be fired in the NFL, Matt Rule at plus 200. Number two on the list, Frank Wright. 